Thanks for joining us for the City Church Podcast. More information on City Church is available at www.ourcitychurch.org. So you guys are just going to have to put up with me today. I'm, I'm fighting a little, little cold, a little exhaustion, uh, but a lot of Jesus. So I'm not fighting the Jesus part, but uh, I'm receiving and, and blessing and thanking God for that. But there's a lot of very, very exciting stuff happening right now. You know, you may know the story of Joshua when he crosses over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. It's an amazing story. And one of the aspects of that story is that uh, the Holy Spirit tells Joshua to step into the water. And when he steps into the water, the waters then part. And you know, when it comes to church and when it comes to life, very oftentimes God will have you take a step before you see the reality of that step. Isn't that true? And so uh, months ago, probably four or five months ago, God began to speak to me about taking a step with our staff, uh, taking a step uh, with our church, taking a step that would stretch us, that would push us, that would uh, cause us to, you know, give more of ourselves. And so uh, really wrestled through what that step should be, but um, finally really came to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit was pushing us to, uh, to launch two services this fall. And so we're very excited about that. Um, in my mind when I prepared that, everybody clapped in that moment, but it didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. That's okay. Um, but uh, so we've been praying about this, and uh, this is a very cool thing because it creates a whole other level of opportunity. So starting next week, everybody say next week. Next. Starting next week, our services, you didn't have to say it twice. Sorry for that person that said it twice. It's just a one-time next week repeat thing. So anyways, um, starting next week, we're going to do 9.30 and 11.15 services here, okay? 9.30 and 11.15 services here, and we're very, very excited about that. Now, there's a few reasons I want to explain those to you. The biggest, most important reason that we're starting two services is mission. Mission. We believe that the mission of God is to see cities transformed in our generation, and we believe that New Haven, Connecticut will be transformed by the church for his glory, And you and I get to play a role in that. And so we want to have as many opportunities as we can to reach people with God's love and with God's grace. And so now we have two opportunities every Sunday. So 9.30 and 11.15, those two times, uh, it will start. Um, The other thing, you know, that's important for us is that as we're growing as a team, we're raising up leaders, more people are getting involved, more people are getting involved, more people are getting involved. It's exciting, it's wonderful, but we're trying to keep pace with the amount of people we want to minister to. And on a typical Sunday morning, multiple people, sometimes 20, 30 people will respond for prayer. Maybe you've experienced this where you're four deep in prayer and you know, you've got to wait to receive prayer because there's three or four other people in front of you. Um, two services enables us at this season, as we raise up leaders, to have more one-on-one interaction, to be able to pray more efficiently, to be able to impact more lives for the gospel. So very excited about this, very, very excited about this. And um, it's also a great time to get involved. If you're here and you're like, what do I do? How do I get involved? Um, we have this thing called First Serve. And you get here, and all that means is you have an opportunity to serve with some of the other people. Um, We set all of this up every single week, and so um, we get here early and set all this up, and you can get involved in that too. And uh, all you have to do is go to the yellow table at the end of the service and say, I would like to serve, um, and they will hook you up, okay? So a couple of details about this. One is that uh, from October 21st to November 11th, October 21st to November 11th, this is a very short window in the great expanse of time. Parents, from October 21st to November 11th, there will be no city kids 
at the 1115 service, okay? It will just be at the 930 service. We're really building that City Kids team. Hey, that's another way you can get involved. But, um, but we're building that City Kids team, and so we believe that we'll be prepared to have City Kids, so child care, for both services starting November 18th, okay? So from now until, or from next week until November 11th, if you're a parent, there will be no City Kids if you show up at 1115, okay? Now, you can do one of two things. You can A, show up at 930, or you can be, just bring your kids into the service, all right? I have this amazing ability to not even hear screaming, freaking out kids. It's a real spiritual gift, works well in my home. I'll be sitting there reading while my kids are screaming, and my wife will go, what are you, what are you doing? I said, I didn't even hear anything. What happened? So um, it's an amazing gift from God. So they're not going to bother me, okay? Uh, they may bother you in the service if you're trying to listen, and, and they're punching you in the face or something, but um, it won't be bothering me. So if you want to bring them to the 1115, you can. If you want to bring them to the 930, they'll be city kids, and they'll have a blast in there, okay? Um, so that's just until the 18th of November. So be of good cheer, okay? Be of good cheer, um, the other thing is if you're a part of the Living Doctrine class. How many of you guys have been going to Living Doctrine class? Awesome. Yeah, great. So if you're part of that, you're going to be excited about this. Living Doctrine class starts now at 8.30. So, so 8.30, 8.30 a.m. Living Doctrine class. It's been at 9. Um, but 8.30, listen, in a couple weeks, we fall back and you get another hour. So it's all the same. Okay? So just think in your mind. It's kind of really like 9.30. So... Maybe that will help you. So 8.30, Living Doctrine class starts this coming week. All right? Everybody cool with that? All right. Now, we've been in a series. <clears throat> I feel a little husky today. Uh, we've been in a series uh, called Reintroducing Jesus. Five weeks. This is week six. This is the last and final week. From here, we do a series called How to Stop Sinning. Turn to the person next to you and say, you really need to come to that because you are all jacked up. So... That will start next week, very excited about that, and then we're going to move into a series called Naturally Supernatural, where we talk about the supernatural gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be awesome. That will bring us all the way to the new year, we have some crazy stuff planned for Thanksgiving and Christmas, I'll tell you about more in the future, and then we'll launch into the new year with a series called Greater Things, where we really talk about the mission and vision of our church, so very excited about all of that, but this is the final series on reintroducing Jesus, so I said to someone this morning, yeah, no more Jesus after this, no, I'm just kidding. Totally just kidding. Jesus is the center of it all. Jesus is the center of it all from beginning to the end. It's always been. It will always be. Jesus. So on February 14th, 2005, three guys took their idea to the world. Chad Hurley, Steve Chen, and Joed Kareem started an internet startup company that 16 months later they sold to Google for $1.65 billion dollars. They stumbled upon an idea that was a way to exploit one of humanity's deepest needs. We call it YouTube. And so this idea of YouTube gets right to the heart of I have an opportunity to make a name for myself. I have an opportunity to share with the world who I am. I get to be on the screen. I get to be sharing you know, my life, my experience, my talent with the world. And it kind of took root, you know. And now in you know just a few years later it's kind of a common life cultural thing, isn't it? I mean, you've gathered around the computer, haven't you? And watched the kid that, you know, just got home from the dentist, you know? And he's like, you know, he's in the back seat freaking out. Come on, you've done that, haven't you? Me and my sons one time, we spent like an hour just watching animals attack humans. 
It was awesome. I mean, it was like, oh, that guy ripped his arm off. And then I'd call my dad. He'd be like, have you seen the one with the buffaloes? No, where's the buffalo? Just Google the, you know, I mean, type in, uh, hey, bless, man, I got my secret stash right here, man. Two, two is better than one. Thank you. Or it's, you know, or it's the, uh, the rap song that they took, they created from a news clip or it's, you know, whatever, you know, and it's all about building this idea. And there's lots of different aspects of YouTube, but one of the aspects is that people literally put things on YouTube simply to make a name for themselves, don't they? I'm going to jump off this car with my bicycle and do a backflip and land on my head, and then I'm going to put it on YouTube and it's going to get a million hits and I'm going to get endorsements and everything else, right? People do this. This is a strategy for like, no, I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to try to get a YouTube video that gets a million hits. And if you've put a YouTube video up on YouTube before you, if you're honest with yourself, consistently check back to see how many people have viewed it, right? And that's just one of the phenomena of our culture. And so this power is found in a name. This power is found in a name. When I say the name Bill Gates, you think of something. When I say the name Harry Potter, you think of something different. When I say the name Michelle Obama, you think of something. And so all these names carry this power. I remember when I was in college, I uh, I had three different roommates, and one of my roommates was from India. And uh, one day we're sitting in our our dorm room, and he tells me, he says, Justin, I got a new stereo system. And I said, really? What what is it? He said, it's Bose. And I said, Bose? I've never heard of that. He said, you've never heard of Bose? And I said, no, I've never heard of Bose. He said, Bose is the best brand there is. And I said, man, Prince, I don't think so, bro. I mean, I know music. I know stereos. I don't think Bose is. I've never even heard of Bose. And he said, no, no, I'm telling you, Bose is the best. And I said, show me your Bose system. And he's like, here, look, come here, Bose. And he shows it to me, B-O-S-E. And I said, oh, Bose, yeah. Yeah, Bose, they're good stereo. You know, and, and all it was was the name. It was the name. But if you lose the name, you just lost the, the whole reputation, Right? I remember as a kid, fifth grade reading, I had to read the book, The Rats of Nim, okay? And uh, the, the lead character in that book is Nicodemus, but I didn't know any better. I was a pagan, non-Jesus-loving person. I never read the Bible, and so I didn't know how to say Nicodemus. So in my mind, as I read the book, it was Nicodemus. And I sat down the first day in class, and they started talking about this guy, Nicodemus, and I was like, crud, I read the wrong book. I was like, there was nobody named, and I'm serious, I mean, I'm a fairly intelligent individual, some would say, some would not say that, but, um, you know, um, it took me about a half an hour sitting in that class as a fifth grader to be like, wait a minute, Nicodemus and Nicodemus are the same, you know, it was like, it was one of those moments, it was like, wow, that's awesome, you know, the World Wildlife Federation put 1,600 paper mache panda bears outside the Eiffel Tower to raise awareness, to make a name for themselves, to raise awareness about the need to protect pandas. In 1996, Taco Bell took out a full-page ad in the New York Times, and they said, in an effort to help the national debt, we, Taco Bell, have purchased the Liberty Bell. They were kidding. They hadn't actually purchased the Liberty Bell. People were actually kind of ticked about the idea that Taco Bell was going to now own the Liberty Bell, and they got a lot of flack for it. But they were like, hey, hey, we're just kidding, we're just kidding. But they were just trying to make a name for themselves, just trying to build a name for themselves. And you do this, don't you? Not by the Liberty Bell, but you, you do this. You try to grow your business, right? If you're a business uh, owner or a startup or whatever, you try to stand out in your class. If you're a student, you try to do the best in terms of presentations, in terms of papers. This is not an evil idea. 
It's just a distorted idea in our mind. You try to advance your product if you're a salesperson, right? You try to say, hey, you know, this is what I do. Why don't you check this out? You know, you're trying to get that girl's attention in the lobby while you slurp down a coffee. Oh, I just called you out, didn't I? Yeah, and so, you know, and so what are you trying to do? You're trying to make a name. You're trying to make a connection, right? You're trying to impress your boss. You're doing all these things, and all these things in and of themselves are not necessarily bad, but what I want to tell you today is that there is something bigger and better than making a name for yourself. So we've been talking about reintroducing Jesus, and we've looked at Jesus as the only. We've looked at Jesus as the prophet, as the priest, as the king, the person of Jesus. And last week, we looked at Jesus as the friend. And this week, to wrap up this series, and I felt like it was really the Lord to do things this way. It's, it's really amazing how this, how this all came about. But um, to wrap up this series, I want to look at Jesus, the name. Jesus, the name. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Jesus, the name. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us today. Holy Spirit, we need far more than to hear uh, a person talk. We need to hear the person, the great person of Christ, talk to us today. Lord, I know that in this room right now, there are a myriad of issues and circumstances going on in our lives. Some of us are financially uh, struggling. Some of us are relationally bankrupt. God, all of us have different things and situations going on. Some of us are fighting a cold. Some of us are, are feeling great. Some of us have just met a new love. Some of us have just lost love. There's all different things going on in our lives right now, but I pray that right now that you would go above all of our issues and you would meet with us, that the spirit of Jesus would meet with us and that through this talk today that you would inspire awe and worship of the great name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, take your hand like this, everybody, left hand. Up like this, come on, come on. This is just Justin being outrageously cheesy and just kind of come down like this and then go ka-chick. Okay, you're buckling up, good. That was terrible, terrible. It was terrible. I want you to buckle up today because, because we are going to cover more scripture today than I have ever covered in a sermon, I think, in the history of sermonizing. And so I've got a lot of scripture to cover, so you have got to stay outrageously attentive. You have full authority to slap the person next to you if they begin to doze off or not pay attention, if drool starts to slip out of their mouth, okay? So you have to stay totally attentive, alive, awake, alert, and enthusiastic, and we are going to rip through some scripture, Exodus 13, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Here we go. This is Moses. If you know the story, Moses is standing before God. A bush is on fire, and Moses is listening to the bush. Talk to him. It's the voice of God, and God says this. Well, first Moses speaks. He says to God, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Jesus the name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord. Now, if you're looking at a Bible, you'll find this is all in capital letters, so that won't help you. But if you're looking at a Bible, oftentimes what you'll see is this word Lord is capitalized, L-O-R-D. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to remember throughout all generations. So we have this encounter, this encounter with God where God gives Moses a name for himself, right? He says, I am who I am, or I am that I am, or I am what I am, 
right? You cannot put your language around me. That's a whole sermon in and of itself, which we've talked about in previous weeks. You can go back and listen to every single podcast on our podcast and find which one. I talked about that. I don't remember which one, but it's in there and you can go back and listen to it. But then God gives himself this name. He says, tell them that the Lord, the Lord. Now we read the Lord and that seems pretty general, doesn't it? We read those words and we say, okay, the Lord, great. We use that phrase often in Christian culture. But that word is actually a four-letter word that the Jews had a very difficult time dealing with. It's the word Y-H-W-H. Now, it's what they, instead of saying this personal name of God, they would instead say Adonai, which means the Lord. And so the, the, the Hebrew people at this time believed that this was the personal name of God. And it was so holy that it, would ne- it was never to be spoken out loud. Okay, and so uh, scholars call it the tetragrammaton, the four letters, okay? That's just a big word that makes me think of transformers. But, you know, I see Optimus Prime, you know, but just pull it back in. The tetragrammaton is this four-letter Y-H-W-H name. And no one actually really knows how to say the name because it wasn't spoken. And so we'll just say for the example, what scholars did eventually is they took the name Adonai and they took the name uh, YHWH and they kind of put the vowels of Adonai into this YHWH and this is where you get the words Yahweh or Jehovah. And so for the sake of just discussion, we will, we will talk about Yahweh today, but really the pronunciation is a mystery. So we have YHWH as a name. God gives himself this divine and very personal name. Now it's important to God that this name is understood as the great personal name of God that should be lifted up and magnified and glorified the Lord, okay? Now, Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, verses 18 to 21. Now, you'll find that in Isaiah 45, this name, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, is mentioned 16 times in this one chapter in the Bible. God is trying to make a very specific point, and we'll see what that point is as we read. Isaiah uh, 45, we're going to start in verse 18. Thus says the Lord. Now that word Lord you're going to understand is Y-H-W-H. Thus says Yahweh, who created the heavens. He is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, Y-H-W-H. I am Yahweh, and there is no other. So he's trying to make a very specific point here. Hey, listen, I'm the only one. It's me, right? I am God above all gods. I'm the one that deserves all worship, all praise, right? He says, there is no other. Verse 19, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep praying Keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the, the Lord? Yeah, the Lord, Y-H-W-H. And there's no other besides me. Boy, he already said that, didn't he? I think he's trying to emphasize something. He says, and there is no other besides me. Verse 22, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I, by myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. And here's the word, to me every knee shall bow, every tongue swear allegiance or confess, depending on the translation that you have. Verse 24, only in the... Lord, in Y-H-W-H, in Yahweh, in the great God, it shall be said, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come, 
uh, and not be ashamed, all who are incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 1. We've studied this as we've talked about the name of God and as we talked about the person of Jesus, who he is. We've studied this a number of times. I'm going to go back to it today. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. We talked about Jesus the prophet, right? And how Jesus spoke on behalf of God. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, the great prophet, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus reveals to us who God is. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, we see this as the priest, right? After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. We see this as the king, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Hold on a second. What are you talking about, writer of Hebrews? Inherited? What's that about? Jesus inherited a name? What name did Jesus inherit? I mean, what does that mean? How do you inherit a name? How does that work? Well, Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul makes it clear. I told you, it's a lot of scripture. Stay with me. You buckled up? You still buckled up? You're not drooling? You're staying with me? Three of us are great? Okay, awesome. So, Philippians chapter 2, we see this. This is what Jesus, this is what uh, Paul says of Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We'll go back to that. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he, hum- in f- human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we see this process that the Apostle Paul describes. He says, Jesus is God. And as God, he humbled himself and he became man, not losing his godness, but fully embracing both godness and manness, he became the God man. And then he died a death he did not deserve to pay for my sins. So this is the process that we see in the gospel. And then verse 9, please some things up. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Now, as I was studying this week, this blew me away. This blew me away. This blew me away. I never saw this before. So hopefully the light turns on for you as it did for me. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name. Now, hold on a second. He bestowed on him a name? God gave Jesus, the God-man, a name? Well, what name did he give him that is above every name? So it's a name that's above every other name. So he is the supreme authority in all things. Jesus, the name, is supreme above all things. But then look at what he says here in verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue. Wait a minute. Paul, what are you doing? That's Isaiah 45 you're quoting, Paul. You're quoting something that wasn't about Jesus. It was about YHWH. It was about Yahweh. It was about the great, secret, mysterious, holy, awesome, worthy name of the eternal, personal God. That's the name that was above every name. There is no other. And all of a sudden, the apostle Paul is now making a direct association between that name mentioned in Isaiah 45 and this name Jesus mentioned here. So he says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess a direct quote from Isaiah 45 that Jesus Christ is Lord that Jesus is Yahweh that he is YHWH that he is God Almighty that he is supreme in all things that he is the highest name 
This is the name that was bestowed on the person of Jesus. That as a God-man, fully God and fully man, Jesus has inherited the highest name of all names, the name from eternal past, the name above all names, the personal God, Yahweh. That he is the name above every name. And today what I want you to see is I want you to see this reality that there is something bigger than making a name for yourself. Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 22. Stay with me. And I saw no temple in the city. This is the end of the end, okay? This is the apostle John seeing the end times when God has already restored his church and what eternity will look like. It's an amazing picture. And I saw no temple in the city. This is the city of God, heaven. For its temple is the Lord, God the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the Lord, uh, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Now we said Jesus, the Lamb of God, is what? The prophet, right? He's the prophet. So we looked at this idea that Jesus is the prophet, which means he shows us who God is. So here we see God pictured, Jesus pictured as light. Revelation 22, no longer will there be anything accursed. Now we said that the curse came through sin and that the priest dealt with sin. If you're losing this, go back and listen to the last five sermons. And the priest dealt with sin. And so the priest removed the sin from the people because he stood as a go-between between both God and man. So here we see Jesus as prophet and then we see Jesus as priest. And then it says, but the throne of God and the lamb will be on it. Well, that's interesting. God even did it the same way we did it, huh? In terms of which order, because now we see the king. Right? He, we see the king where it says that, uh, that the throne of God and the lamb will be in it. This is the city. And the servants will worship him. Verse 4. They will see his face. Oh, awesome. They'll see his face. We talked about this last week. That Jesus is your friend. That he offers you friendship. That he's not just prophet. He's not just priest. He's not just king. He's also friend. And so we have this divine opportunity to know Jesus as friend, they will see his face. They will see his face. So what this means is, as I build the foundation of who Jesus is as prophet, priest, and king, as I understand who he is as those things, I can then step into relationship with him as friend, right? We spoke about this last week. You guys remember that? Great, okay. So we see this as friend, and now look at how this verse ends. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And his name will be on their foreheads. Now, your forehead is a pretty public place, isn't it? I mean, it's what everyone sees as soon as they see you. And so everywhere you go, your forehead goes with you. You are unable to detach your forehead from the rest of your being. And so your forehead is a representation of the mark that defines who you are. And so what we see here is we see this image that God gives us that the name the name. Now, we already talked about what the name is. The name is Yahweh. The name is the eternal God. The name is this secret, mysterious, amazing name that God gave himself generations past and that people have worshiped and honored for previous generations for all time and that Jesus inherits this great name. And now Jesus takes this great name and he writes that name on you. The highest honor of humanity is to be a carrier of the name. If you want to write one thing down today, I urge you to write that down. You can even write that on your forehead if you want. The highest honor of humanity, think about this, is to be a carrier 
of the name. This has huge implications, which we'll get into in a minute. The highest honor is not for you to make a name for yourself. The highest honor is not for you to become famous or rich or powerful or important. The highest honor, listen, you might be on the fast track to super success. You might be the next person to start the YouTube of 2012. You might be the next person to create the next great thing or do the next big thing. Hear this today because this will change the trajectory of your life. The highest honor in life is not to make a name for yourself because when you die, that honor will leave. And it may last 10 years, it may last 100 years, but I can guarantee you that no one will know your name a 1,000 years from now if we're still here, if, we're, if, if humanity is still here and Christ has not returned. What I'm telling you today is there is a honor that is higher than the honor of making a name for yourself. And this truth needs to get massaged into every aspect of how we live and what we do. The highest honor of humanity is to be a carrier of the name. Wow. What an amazing, amazing opportunity you and I are given. So what does it mean to carry the name? What does it mean to carry the name? I want to give you three things, note takers, you can write these down if you'd like. Three things that it means to carry the name that we see in scripture that the Bible describes that if you want to be a carrier of the name, you must understand these three things because you cannot effectively or efficiently carry and display the name above all names, Yahweh, without understanding the essence of these three principles, okay? Three things, very simple. What does it mean to be a carrier of the name? Number one, it means willful sacrifice. Willful sacrifice. Third John chapter one, verse seven The Apostle John says this, for they have gone out for the sake of the, okay, now might be a good time to slap that person next to you. Yep. I know I just read a lot of scripture. You can go ahead and slap them if you'd like. So now, for it says, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. What's he saying here? He's saying that there's a new normal. There's a new normal. Don't miss this today. There's a new normal, and the new normal does not live for prestige or for reward in this life. The new normal lives for a different level of prestige. The new normal understands that there's a higher honor than building a name. The higher honor is to carry the name. And so they went out, these individuals he's speaking of in this passage, they went out for the sake of the name. And because they went out for the sake of the name, they had such a passion For the name, they didn't want to receive anything from anyone because they had willful sacrifice in their hearts. You might know the story of Alexander the Great, born in 356 BC. He died at 33 years old. His life in many regards parallels the same amount of time that Jesus Christ walked in human form on this earth. But Alexander the Great built one of the largest empires in the ancient world. He was undefeated in battle. Undefeated in battle. He was one of the most brilliant, if not the most brilliant commander in the history of commanders. Alexander the Great, at 33 years old, undefeated in battle, expanded his empire to one of the most amazingly vast empires in the history of humanity. But like Adam and like all of humanity, Alexander the Great sought to make a name for himself. He grasped for the same fruit that Adam grasped for and that Eve grasped for in the garden. I want to be like God. 
I want to obtain some type of eternal importance. I want a name that is sustained for all generations. I want to be important. And that same vein pulsates through your heart. It's the DNA of Adam that you inherited from your forefathers. It is a desire for prestige and importance and value that cannot be satisfied in this life. It's why men name buildings after themselves. It's why people build these great uh, mausoleums to themselves when they die in, in, in ancient cultures. It's all this essence of saying, I would like to promote self and build a name. And then you look at Jesus, a completely countercultural leader. He never commanded an army. He never conquered a city. He never wrote a book. And today, 2,000 years later, none of us are saying, Alexander, Alexander, there's something about that name. We're not singing that. No one on planet Earth right now is worshiping, not very many, are worshiping Alexander. But right now, there are billions of people honoring and worshiping the person of Jesus, a peasant farmer who did none of the great things of Alexander, but did something far greater. Willful sacrifice. Jesus as God did not exploit or take advantage of his status as God, but instead he pioneered a new way to live. Willful sacrifice. Do you find evidence of that in your life? I remember when Christy and I first... um, Decided to buy a house. We were 21 years old, broke. And uh, we, just it's a long story, but by faith, we really felt like God wanted to enable us to purchase a home. And so uh, we put this offer in on this house, really not expecting to get them to say yes because we had put such a low offer and we had no money. We had no money. It's really interesting when you put an offer in on a house with no money. And so we put an offer in the house, and um, don't try this at home. I'm not saying you should do this. I'm saying this is what God did in, in our life. And, and we got a phone call the next day, and it said, um, well, congratulations. They accepted your offer. We'll need $10,000 tomorrow. And, and I said, well, we were, on a mission. we were leaving for a missions trip to Budapest, Hungary. And so I said, well, I'm leaving today for Budapest, Hungary. Do you think I could give you the money when I got back? course i didn't have the money when you know when i left so so 10 days in budapest we get back and we get a phone call from a family member that says we want to loan you ten thousand dollars and we thought wow that's amazing that's excellent that's thank you so much and they gave us the check and they said by the way this is not a loan this is a gift we want to give you ten thousand dollars now for a 21 year old who had no money this was amazing and i knew this family member i knew that they did not have the money to spare but god had spoken to them to make this type of willful sacrifice. And so they did. See, this idea of willful sacrifice plays out in a thousand different ways in our personal lives. Is your life marked with willful sacrifice? Not because you have some obligation, but because you understand that as a carrier of the name, I embody a different form of leadership. And when everyone else is out there trying to promote and advance their name, me, as a carrier of the name, embody a whole different system of belief. And my system is built on an understanding that I will willfully sacrifice for the advancement of the name number two invasive influence invasive influence Colossians chapter 3 the apostle Paul writes this in verse 17 whatever you do in word or deed do everything somebody say everything do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to God the Father through him Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything. 
What we see here, friends, is we see the destruction of the sacred and the secular. We see that no longer does the scripture say, well, going to church is, is sacred and going to work is secular. Being at home is secular and, you know, uh, praying is sacred. And so this particular spot here is the altar and it's sacred, but everywhere else is secular. You know, all those ideas are no longer justified in, in the church because what we see is a reality that in everything you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of YHWH, of the great God, of the King. So this means that no matter what I'm doing, I'm doing it on behalf of Christ. And this also means that if I'm going to carry the name, I must embrace invasive influence where God has influence in every part of my life. Let me be honest with you right now. I know that this is not a reality in many of our lives. I know it. You know why I know it? Because you call me with your problems. And the question I have for you today is what areas of your life have you blocked the influence of God? What areas of your life? Listen, you have a much greater honor than making a name for yourself. You have the opportunity to be a carrier of the name, but no one is seeing the name reflected in your life because you've not embraced invasive influence. You've got to allow God to invade every aspect of who you are. Well, what about those hurts? What about that person that hurt me? Let him heal you. Well, what about my money? I have to feel like I'm in control. You're a fool. You're a fool. Jesus loves you. (laughs) But you can't control your money. You can't even control your life. You don't know if you'll be alive tomorrow. You can't take that with you no matter how many dollar bills they stuff in your pockets in that grave. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Naked you came in. Naked you go out. You're not going to have it with you. Don't try to rely on that. Well, Justin, what about relationships? I just feel like I need to control it. What about my job? I just feel like I need to be the one to, to have you know, no invasive influence. What this means is every aspect of who I am is submitted to the kingship of Jesus. Invasive influence. This week I read a story about George Wishart. In 1543, George Wishart was arrested because he spoke out against the heresies of the church at that time. And he was sentenced to hang in the gallows. And this man literally embodied willful sacrifice and invasive influence. All he had to do was say, okay, these aren't that big of a deal. And I put myself in this position. Would you, would you hold on to sound doctrine? Would you hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ and justification by faith that you're forgiven by his grace through faith? Would you hold on to that to the point of being hung? And this man, what we see, he did. And so he's sentenced to death. And as he's walking to be hung, he says, Lord, I forgive my accusers. Please forgive them, which is a powerful reality. He gets to the hangman and the the executioner is standing there and the executioner falls at his knees. And he says, George, please forgive me for doing this. Forgive me. I don't want to execute you. Please forgive me. And George kneels down and kisses the executioner on the cheek and says, that's a token of my forgiveness. He said, do your job. And in that moment, George Wishart was hung for the sake of the name. He carried the name. And we're still talking about him hundreds of years later because he was a carrier of the name and he closed his eyes in this life and he opened them in the next life. And he was a faithful carrier of the name of Jesus, invasive influence and willful sacrifice. Do these describe your life? Do these describe your life? 
Are there areas or aspects of your life that this is not identifying with you at all? Does this describe your life today? Because what I'm telling you is when you catch a glimpse of the beauty of the reality that you and I get to carry the name of Jesus, that you and I get to be carriers of the name for all eternity, forever, we carry this name. It supersedes our own selfish longing to make a name for ourselves. Last thing today. What does it mean to be a carrier of the name? It means divine authority. It means divine authority. And this is a powerful, powerful idea. John chapter 14, verse 13. Jesus says this. He says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, we're rational people, and we read that phrase, and we immediately begin to put, you know, barriers on that. Well, not everything. Well, he's not going to just do whatever you want. Well, I mean, Jesus didn't really, no, he did say that. In fact, he said it a lot of times. He said it again and again in various gospels, in various ways. Our rational mind is trying to put borders around it, but God is waiting for someone to believe it. He's waiting for you and I to say that, God, you have given me divine authority. And because you've given me divine authority, whatever I ask in your name, let's read the whole passage so we can get it clear. Whatever I ask, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And so the only boundary is the only boundary that we need there is that Jesus says, as long as your desire in asking is to glorify the Father, that's the cover that I give to that amazing statement of divine authority. You can ask, but your heart must be one that has willful sacrifice and invasive influence, and your desire is to glorify the Father. And when your heart longs to glorify the Father, ask whatever you want in my name that the Father may be glorified in the Son. My Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those two phrases are linked. You can pray the kingdom of God down when your heart says, hallowed be thy name. Scripture says that every knee will bow. You guys can come out, the bank can come out. Every knee will bow and that every single tongue will confess. Friends, there's something bigger in life than making a name for ourselves. There's something bigger than starting the next big internet startup. There's something bigger than becoming the most successful businessman. There's something bigger than being the greatest doctor. There's something bigger than becoming the most successful politician. There's something bigger than having the most perfect family or building the most amazing house. These are not things that are inherently wrong, but there's something bigger because all of those things pass away. And then there's a name that will never pass away. Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, the Tetragrammaton, the name above all names. Jesus is Lord. He is Yahweh. He is God. And Jesus writes that name on our foreheads, and he says, I want you to carry it. In Acts chapter 9, God calls out the Apostle Paul, and he says, I have set him apart that he may, and I love this phrasing in Acts chapter 9, he may carry my name to the Gentiles. You may carry my name. You're a carrier of the name. Just look at me for a second. I want you to come with me. I want to do this. I want to carry the name. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. I want to carry the name. I want to embrace willful sacrifice. 
I want to embrace invasive influence and I want to operate in divine authority. I want to go and I want you to go with me. I want you to come with me. What if you and I together cast off all of our restraints? What if you and I stopped putting limitations on what God could do? What if you and I trusted him fully? What if you and I embraced our identity as those who carry the name, the highest honor that anyone could be given in this life? What if you and I embraced that to the fullest, stopped seeking every little opportunity to glorify ourselves? It runs so deep in our nature, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I mean, I'll be honest. I find myself just fitting my name in there. And I, no, God, I don't want to live for that. I want to carry the name. At City Church, we say that our purpose, our passion, is to spread a lifestyle of authentic Christianity for the glory of God and for the transformation of cities. What are we saying when we say that? Fundamentally, the essence of what we're saying is that we want to be carriers of the name. We want to carry this name. We want to give our lives to spread a lifestyle of those who embrace willful sacrifice, not arm-twisted, you know, broken sacrifice, but I want to give my life. They went out for the sake of the name, expecting nothing from the Gentiles. Why? The name. It was enough. It was enough. Willful sacrifice. Justin, I want to give this because God has called me to give it. Things get crazy when people start thinking like that invasive influence. Justin, my marriage is a mess and I'm tired of hiding it. Justin, my finances are a disaster and I've been faking it for a long time thinking that I can put borders around God. No, invasive influence. Let him get in every little corner. Divine authority. In Jesus' name, we speak light to the darkness. For the glory of God and the transformation of cities. I want to challenge you to do something today. Right now, right here. Come on, stand to your feet. I want to challenge you today to sing and honor and worship the person of Jesus with all of your heart. I don't care if you like the song. I don't care if the band messes up. I don't care what could distract you from this time, but I want to urge you right now on behalf of Christ, with all of your heart, honor and exalt and lift up this name that is above every name, the person of Jesus, the work of Christ, that he is Yahweh, that he is high and lifted up, that he is exalted above all other gods, above all other elevated things in this life, above me and above you, that it is Jesus and Jesus and Jesus alone and come to him with that ambition to honor him and with the reality that God, as I worship and honor you, you bestow upon me the great privilege that I carry your name. Let's pray, Jesus, we welcome you right now. We welcome you right now and I pray that none of us would sing with a half-hearted attitude. I pray that none of us would engage you right now with a half-hearted disposition, but every one of us, with all of our souls, would magnify and exalt the person of Christ, would lift you high and say that you are worthy, that you are great, and that you are good. Lord, overwhelm our hearts as carriers of the name to magnify and lift up the person and the work of Jesus, the one who humbled himself, showed us a new style of leadership, and then stepped into his place above every name so that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. Thank you. We hope you've been challenged and encouraged by this City Church podcast. 
visit City Church at www.ourcitychurch.org.